0: Heavenly Father, please give us light by your Holy Spirit to see you in the face of your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. I know that Friday was St. Patrick's Day, and I'm grateful for St. Patrick and and the Irish, but I want to start this morning with expressing some gratitude to the Italians. The uh, Italians who gave us pizza and pasta, but uh, probably the thing that I'm most grateful for, at least on a daily basis probably I think about this, uh, is the invention of glasses because that came out of Italy according to, it's disputed. Who exactly invented glasses, but according to many historians, there was somebody in Florence, Italy, who invented glasses. The earliest reference to this that one historian found was in the sermon, actually. In, um, in 1306, there was a sermon preached in Florence in which the preacher said, It has not been 20 years since the art of glasses has been found. And then he said, and I know the man who invented glasses. This is in Florence, Italy in 1306. What glasses do, of course, is to focus light, to focus the light. So people like me, whose cornea is not shaped in the way it needs to be in order to refract the light properly, the glasses angle the light just so it reflects on the retina to let the appropriate amount of light in so that people like me can see properly. There is, of course, a relationship between light and sight. And in our Gospel reading, Jesus says that He is the light of the world. And then to illustrate that in a dramatic fashion, he heals a blind man. Does this healing out of compassion for the blind man? Yes. But it's also an illustration of a spiritual truth that he is the light of the world. Uh, the blind man, of course, for him, the problem wasn't a matter of just focusing light, but because of his condition, he could never have seen the light unless Jesus opened. His eyes. He lived in complete and utter darkness for his entire life until Jesus opened his eyes. And that's how it is with us. When it comes to knowing God, we are in darkness. We are blind unless God gives us light. Why is that the case? Why are we left on our own? in darkness, when it comes to knowing God. We can know things about God. We can know from nature that that God exists. We can know something about the power of God as we look at the natural world. We can understand that God is a God of order as we look at the order of creation. There are some things we can know about God, but to know God, to truly know God personally and to know what God is like, We need light. And why is that the case? Well, think about who God is. Let's just take a moment to think about the very nature of God. Um, Remember last time in our gospel reading from John 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, God is what? Spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, therefore God is not visible to our eyes. God is invisible, not material. So God's essence cannot be seen by our eyes. Of course, there are times we read in the Old Testament where God appeared temporarily. He manifested his presence in a material way, but those were temporary manifestations of his presence, not the essence. Of who God is. Jesus says, God is spirit. Therefore, we have to relate to Him spiritually. Those who worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we cannot see God, we cannot apprehend God through our physical senses like we can with other people. He is invisible. And God is infinite. That means that God has no limits, He is unlimited. He's not bound by any. Limits. He is not bound like we are by time and space. God created time and space. We are so time bound. We are so limited. It's hard to imagine. It's impossible really for us to imagine that kind of existence that's outside of time and space, yet sees time and space. I heard one pastor say, I think it was John Piper, who said, you know, the Bible says that um, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And he said, if you take that literally in some literal fashion, then it means that Jesus has been gone for two days. <laughs> God's relationship to time is so different than ours. And he's He's not limited by any conditions outside of himself. We are dependent. We We have to have Food and water and clothing and shelter. If we don't have these things after a period of time, we're not going to exist any longer. But God's existence is self-existence. He's not limited by anything outside of himself. One writer said that we live with the word if, the conditional statement if all the time. If my health permits, if my health holds up, then I'll be around for another 20, 30, 40 years, whatever. I hope to live that long if my health holds up. If my team wins the basketball game, then I'm going to be happy. We live with ifs. God does not live with ifs. He's not contingent on anything for his happiness, anything outside of himself. He's not dependent on anything. And so, God is infinite. And how can we who are finite know or relate to this infinite God unless he makes himself known. There's a great chasm between us and God and he's the one who has to reach across the chasm. And he has done so. And the good news, he has done so by giving us the light of his Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can know him. God in his grace, you see, has given us this light. It starts with God's grace. God so loved the world that he gave. And out of His goodness and out of His mercy and out of His love, He makes Himself known to us in Christ. The knowledge of the light of God comes through Christ. So then, how do we receive this light? And we see that in this story here. How we receive the light of Christ. After Jesus anointed the man's eyes with mud, He told him to go and wash in this pool. That was south of Jerusalem, south of the Temple Mount. And pilgrims, I'm told, would go to this, uh, this pool to wash themselves before they went to worship God in the temple. So Jesus is cleansing this man. But he goes to this pool of Siloam. He says, go and wash in this pool of Siloam. Why didn't he just command the blind man's eyes to be opened? He could have done that. He could have said, be opened, and in an instant his eyes would be opened. Well, he was calling this man to exercise faith. Faith in his word. That's how we receive the light of Christ. It is through faith in Christ. Faith in his word. And so that's what this man did. He went, it says, and washed, and he came back seen. See, he trusted the word of Christ. He trusted Christ. He obeyed in faith, and he came back seen. The light came into his eyes, into his life. Faith is the lens, friends. Faith is the lens that lets the light of Christ into your life and into my life. And so it starts with faith in the word of Christ. And it grows as we continue to exercise faith and continue to trust in what Christ has said. More of the knowledge of God comes into our hearts and to our minds as we trust in Christ and look to him. We see this in the story, that the the understanding of this man, this man who was born blind, who's been healed in a dramatic fashion, his understanding of Christ grows. The light grows stronger as the story goes. He knows Jesus is a healer. Then he understands, and it's not in our bulletin, but there's a part of the story that's cut out of it. But he says that this man must be a prophet. And then at the end of the story, he understands that Jesus is the Son of Man. And he worships him. The light of Christ grows. But this is how um, knowing works in all areas of life. That it starts with faith. It starts with trust. In all realms of knowledge, the first step is trust. Some people say, they make a distinction. Well, I believe in rational knowledge and faith is another category. Well, I would say even when it comes to using your mind, your reason, even when it comes to math and science, that begins with trust. You have to trust the books. You have to trust the teacher. All knowledge starts with trust. Let's say you want to make a dessert you've never made before. Let's say you want to make triple layer chocolate. Because you want to make that for your pastor. Let's just say. How are you going to, if you've never made this before, what do you need to do? You need to look up, in the old days we would get a recipe book. Now you go online. You look up the recipe. And if the recipe has, uh, you know, three stars, four stars, whatever, and positive comments, then you're going to trust that recipe. And you're going to follow that recipe in trust that the end result is going to be good. This chocolate cake that you're going to give to your pastor. And, 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 and that's, how, that's how it all works. In all realms of life, faith is the starting point. The trust. And so, friends, do we want to know God? We're to trust in the light that He's given us. Or to be like this man who obeyed the word of Christ. He trusted in Christ. We want to grow in the knowledge of God grow in the light of the knowledge of God that he's revealed in Jesus Christ, then we have to continue to exercise faith and trust in Christ. Let's not be content with the light that God has given us, to know Christ. God is infinite. And the knowledge of God, then, can be infinite. And we're not going to be bored in glory. Even in glory, we're going to know more of God. We're going to encounter more of God, even in eternity. God is infinite. There's not going to be any boredom there. We're going to be delighted in the knowledge and worship of God for eternity. And so there's more light to shine forth from God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's not be satisfied with what we have and where we're at now. Let's ask God for more light, to know Him more, to know Him more personally, that we might be caught up more in the glory of Christ. Well, even though the light has come, we see that the light of Christ brings division in this story because some people remain in darkness. It says the religious leaders, they reviled this blind man, saying, we are disciples of Moses, but you're his disciple. And we know that Moses is from God, but from where this man comes, we can't tell you. We don't know where this man comes. And and what has happened is that Jesus... He performed this miracle on a Sabbath day. And in doing that, he challenged their interpretation of the Word of God. It it really wasn't Moses versus, or Jesus versus Moses, but it was Jesus versus their interpretation of Moses. Their man made traditions about keeping the Mosaic law. That's what Jesus was challenging. But these Pharisees, they were so set. In their ways, they were so fixed in their beliefs, they were so proud of their views that their mind was closed and their hearts were shut. And so even though they saw with their eyes this great miracle, the light of the truth of Christ couldn't penetrate their hearts. They lacked faith. Jesus challenged them. And Jesus challenges us this way too. Because he says to you and he says to me, you must get your understanding of who God is through me. I am the light of the world. Not through your own ideas. Not through your imaginations. Not through other traditions. Not through what's popular in the culture. The best-selling books or the latest video you might have seen from some religious guru. No, you must get your knowledge, your light of who God is. Through me, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So, he challenges, he pushes against our spiritual and intellectual pride. And he calls for humility. This is what Jesus does. So, friends, are we taking our views, our understanding of who God is, from the light of the world that's been revealed in Jesus? Are you getting your understanding? of the character of God, the nature of God, what God does in order to save you from Christ. He is the light of the world. But some people, again, in intellectual pride, reject this. And we see some of that happening here with the Pharisees. They're threatened by Jesus. They're going to have to revise their thinking if they receive the light. There's another reason why many people don't receive the light of Christ. And John tells us this in John chapter 3. And it doesn't have to do with intellectual reasons. It has to do with morality. Because in John 3, it says this is the judgment that's come into the world, that the light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And the light exposes their evil deeds. And so they turn away from the light that God gives. It's not intellectual. It's moral. Their deeds are evil. They want to live their life on their own terms, apart from the light that God has given about how we should live. Everyone practicing evil, John says, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. It's often under cover of darkness, isn't it? That crimes are committed. It's often under cover of darkness or in secret that we do things that we don't want other people to see. The light exposes the evil. And so, for those whose hearts are hardened to this light, they will withdraw from it. They want to continue on in the darkness. Maybe some of us can remember times in our life when we resisted the light of Christ. Or when we were tempted to withdraw from the light into the darkness. And it wasn't really because of intellectual reasons, but it was moral. There were things that we wanted to do that we knew were wrong, but we took delight in those things. We wanted the pleasure of those things. It wasn't intellectual. It was moral. Maybe some people here are tempted even today to walk outside of the light and to continue or to go down a path of darkness. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in our reading today, the the, the passage from Ephesians. Listen to Paul's warning. He said, You are children of light. Therefore, walk in the light. And, and, And that... Those who continue to walk in darkness without repentance, continue to go down a path of darkness in this life, will experience utter darkness in the life to come. They won't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Don't let people deceive you, he says, with empty words, that it doesn't matter how you walk or how you live or how your heart is towards God. There are people who are saying that. It doesn't really matter. God's not concerned about that area of your life. Paul says, don't be deceived if you're walking in this path of darkness now and you don't turn. You're going to continue walking in the path of darkness into eternity. And so heed the warning that Paul is giving. Thank God for His grace. Thank God that even now He's calling to you to turn from darkness into this light that He's revealed in Jesus Christ. There are people in our life who we are concerned about people in our life who we see that are going down this path of darkness. They don't really have an interest in the light of Christ. Maybe it is intellectual pride. They're too proud and they don't want to consider what Christ has to say. Or maybe it's moral issues in their life and they want to do life their way. And they're walking down this path of darkness and we're concerned about them. Let's pray that God would give them the grace of Humility intellectual humility, that God would allow them to see something of the fruits of the deeds of darkness so that they'll realize this is not where I'm going to find happiness. Let's pray for humility for those that we're concerned about. Let's pray that they would understand that there's a path of darkness that they're going down and that God would open their eyes to see the fruit of that so that they would be open to receive the light of the knowledge of God in Jesus. The light of Christ brings truth, but it also brings division. But this story has such a beautiful ending, doesn't it? This is such a beautiful story, and if you haven't read it in a while, you should go back maybe and read all of John chapter 9. There's drama here. There's humor, I think, in this story as well. There's tension, and there's a beautiful resolution at the end. Because it shows us the end or the goal of receiving the light of Christ. And the goal is worship. The goal is to worship Christ. Who has given us this light. So it begins, the light begins with the grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, we wouldn't know God. It's received in faith and trust. That's how it enters into our life. It creates a division, a judgment, because there are some who receive it and some who turn away from it. But the goal of it is that Christ might be worshipped, that God in Christ might be honored. And that's what we see happening at the end of this story. This healed man, he's been cast out. He's been cast out of the synagogue. He's been cast out of the temple. He's cast out of his community. His very existence, because he's been healed by Christ, is a threat to these religious authorities. Everything would have to be rethought. Christ would have to be received. And so his very threat is in existence, so he's cast out. But Jesus goes after him. Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after one lost sheep. He leaves the ninety-nine to go find the one that's hurting. He'll say that in the next chapter, John 10. He goes after this man who's been cast out. And then he gives more light to this man. He gives more understanding about who he is. He reveals that he's the Son of Man. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, oh, I don't know who the Son of Man is. Tell me so that I can believe in him. You want me to believe in the Son of Man? Tell me. That Son of Man title, that's a title for the Messiah. It it goes back to uh, Daniel chapter 7. There's a prophecy there that one like the Son of Man is going to come and he's going to be the king of all nations. And he will have a kingdom that will encompass people from all over the world. And then Jesus says, after he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he? And Jesus says, I, the one you are seeing, You have seen him. And he's speaking to you now. Quite a thing for Jesus to say to a man who's seen for the very first time. You're seeing him. He's speaking to you. And then the man confesses faith. I believe. And it says that he worshipped him, which probably means we should think of this man as bowing down at the feet of Jesus. The word picture here of worship is kneeling, is bowing. So here's this blind man who's no longer blind. He sees the light and he bows before Christ. Is anyone here grateful this morning that Jesus has found you? That Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after one who's left the flock? Is anyone here grateful that he's come to you in love? And he found you at a time of loneliness. Can you worship him because he's not left you in the dark? His light has dispelled the darkness of sin and guilt and shame with mercy and grace and forgiveness. Can you worship Christ for that? His light drives out the darkness of sin and death with the promise of everlasting light, backed up by the blazing brightness of his resurrection. He dispels the darkness of sin and death with His light. In Him and because of Him, because of His light, He moves us out of the darkness of not knowing God, not having a relationship with God, to a place of knowing that we're beloved sons and daughters of God through Him. The light has come in Christ. And worship is the goal and the appropriate response of the revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ. Worship is the goal, and worship is the way that we continue to see Christ rightly. It is right to worship Him, to bow before Him. And as we do so, not only is it a response of gratitude for who Christ is and what He's done, but it is a way to receive more of the knowledge of who Christ is. Love is a way to receive more knowledge, right? When you're in love with somebody, they open up to you. They open up more of their personality to you. When you express that love and devotion, and when we worship Christ, when we express our love and our devotion, we get more light. We get more understanding of who Christ is. There's a story by... um a former Archbishop of Canterbury, Donald Cogan, he used to tell the story, I think I've told it before, of this sculpture. It was a famous sculpture, and he sculpted um, Christ, an image of Christ. And he was, again, a famous sculpture, and people came from all around to see this sculpture. And as they looked at it, they looked at it at various angles, and the the glory of the statue didn't quite strike them. They, they, they knew, of course, that this sculpture was brilliant. But the the glory of it, the splendor of this image of Christ was somehow eluding them. No matter, they walked around it in different angles and they couldn't see it. So, they asked the sculpture, how, how are we to, the, the sculptor, how are we to see this sculpture that you've created? What's the best way to look at it? And he said, He always said the same thing. In order to see this rightly, you have to kneel. In order to see the glory of it, you have to kneel. That's the posture. That's how it is with Christ. To see Him rightly, we have to trust Him. We have to worship Him. We have to glorify Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that uh, You've revealed Your light to us in Christ. Apart from that, we would still be in darkness. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit has opened our eyes to see the glory of Christ. We pray for those who do not see God in the face of Jesus Christ. They don't see the glory. They don't see the love and the beauty that you can give them in Christ. We pray that you would open their eyes. and We pray that you would help us to grow in faith and worship as we bow before Christ, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.